Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grade traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 8th of August 2022. Wow, what a week that's just been. Lots and lots of harvesting, a little bit of rain, that was a bit exciting last weekend. Didn't really stop anything, didn't do any damage. I was a bit nervous about the possibility of some of the springs getting hurt by the rain. No, nothing doing. In fact, if anything, it made it a little bit riper when the sun did come out again. And once the rain had cleared and it dried out, we've been smacked squarely between the eyes with thousands and thousands of deliveries. So let's start with some prices first. Oilseed rapes come off in price. It's not really relevant anymore as such because the barn doors are now closed so last week's price i think was 538 this week is 508 very little activity don't see any trading occurring now particularly it's kind of done what was going to be done and those who've shut it up in a safe store somewhere is probably going to shut their eyes if they hadn't had to sell it they won't have sold it so that's that one out of the way what next feed barley is improving in price the harvest pressure is gone most of the spring barley is being accepted into the malting bin there's very few problems with some have got a bit a uh, bit thin a bit low on retention so they're going in the feed bin but largely most of the crop is getting accepted and that's very relevant in a minute i'll talk about the malting price but if a big acceptance goes on then the market is inevitably going to have a replenishment of, of malting stocks so feed barley without any ready i need to move it supply has come back to a place which is slightly more reasonable against other commodities to so value x farm for reasonably quick movement 220 standing on your head so there are a few boats about there's a few lorry issues there might be someone struggling to get hold of some who knows but the dynamic is 220x is 10 pounds even possibly 15 pounds up from the bottom which moves on to yeah it's gone to malting barley why not it looks like the spring barley crop in the south of england is low nitrogen big yield The crop in East Anglia is not all low nitrogen, some low nitrogen and some higher nitrogen pretty well mostly under two percent nitrogen so it's going to be usable in export terms or usable full stop and so very little has been rejected and i think that's an important point as i mentioned in the feed barley bit there is very little going the wrong direction so therefore big acceptance rate increases the amount of available malting barley for this season and without doubt today the malting barley market is under pressure and we've seen kind of octet prices drop from i guess about 300x to probably 285x something like that it's been a 12 15 pounds drop during the week when the realization that there is a bucket load of malting barley out there and the maltsters all of a sudden are feeling a lot more relaxed and i think you'll find as we head up north i've been saying all along the crop up there i'm expecting to be very good a big crop 
If that's true, then I see a continuation of the market drifting away. Let's not forget, when I talk about feed barley at 220, and I talk about malting barley at 285 or 290, that's a £70 premium, and that's abnormally high. So let's not, you know, lose, just because the malting barley prices drop below the 300 mark X farm, it doesn't mean to say that it's still a rubbish price. It's still an incredibly brilliant price. So, you know, if you think you've missed out, you have because that's how you think and you have if you think you have but if you think that 290 is a terrible price and you can't bear the embarrassment of selling it that look yourself in the eye in the mirror and swallow that bit of pride and go do you know what way above where i first budgeted book it dano Anyway, that's that one. So malting barley, obviously the winter barleys are done and dusted as far as we're concerned. We've moved them all. Everything's in store. There is no winter barley left out on farm as far as doing grain is concerned. I know that most other people still have lots of their winter malting barley out there. And I know that there's a number of farmers who are very grateful with the weather for holding and looking like another 10 days of dry weather means they can just sit there twiddling their thumbs waiting for the winter barley to move, let alone the spring barley. So it's that age-old thing of being geared up to cope with harvest we've mentioned this i think this is our fourth harvest of podcasts actually yeah i think you've got to recognize that people who promise one thing on malting barley movement when something happens and every year something different happens it's always a completely different excuse as to why you can't move it but in a year where the weather's against you this is a real problem you could have your spring barley standing in the field still and it could get rained on and could get ruined or the wheat could lose its quality if it's still waiting because you haven't got the capacity in your storage to cope so just put up with it for another year but open your eyes to the reality of what it really means and how much stress that represents the malting barley prices i've mentioned has come off a bit yeah winter barleys are kind of done and dusted and i think they're sufficiently off the pitch now the bits and pieces we've still got to sample the bits on farm that we've got some contracts with we'll see what the surpluses are yes there's a market still to be had for it it's not all over but it is going to be a slightly subdued market unless the weather up north goes wrong or the the danish crop starts to have a problem and at this moment at this very moment there is no problem with either of those things so it does mean i think the market is going to come under pressure there's other issues going on in the marketplace. Let's go on to feed wheat. The market itself has actually gone up a diddy bit this week. It is currently, if you're moving harvest into one of our stores, and we've got space still at South Pickenham, all the other ones pretty well are getting near full, or they are full. So 246 delivered store is the value today. That's £20 under the Nov Futures. We've still got capacity to take it. I think a number of people are struggling with that. And there's, again, a number of promises been made by people to say, we will take your as-available wheat at X price. It's turned out as, yeah, okay, it's ready. And lo and behold, they can't give you any fixings. And there's one particular company who has irritated a large number of as-available contracts at higher prices, knowing full well that they'll still deliver them because they're high prices, by saying they're available to buy some wheat for this coming week, and yet they can't supply fixings against original contracts. So if you're a farmer and you've got someone who's doing that, whoever your merchant is you know these things happen the trade are horrible to each other and they mess each other around as much as they can so they prove that they're the best or whatever to to you farmers do you trade with them next time round. but if your merchant can't take responsibility and get it moved and it's always someone else's fault you know the victim mentality is something that is in the end quite a powerfully irritating thing they're not victims if they haven't sorted themselves out to get it moved you are the victim because you are stuck with the stuff that's supposed to have gone for the next bit of the crop to move into the store so as far as it goes you know just again put that to the back of your mind if people don't move things and they promise they're going to give you harvest movement they're going to do it this year they're going to do it next year they're going to do it forever more and as long as you keep being mug enough to take it that's you being a dimwit okay 
always goes down well when I come out with stuff like that. But within the market, I personally think the wheat market is due to come down. Now, I'm, I'm wrong on the basis of the rest of the world. It disagrees with me, how dare it. Other markets are firm, corn, wheat, etc. There's certainly concern about the corn crop, as we've mentioned previously. There's a USDA next week, which could bring some figures out, which makes the whole thing go up again. But physically, in the UK, we're not competitive export-wise. We are enjoying the benefits of a fantastically... Well, it's a big crop. It's, it really is a big crop. Sweeping statement for those who've not had a great yield. Sorry, but largely, it's a bigger-than-expected crop. It's not being exported. It has to go somewhere. And lots of people have shoved it into various barns because it's nice and dry and there's no pressure on you. It will be a pressure when it starts to rain and it will start to rain again one day. So just look at that and go, am I, you know, if it rains and it suddenly gushes water through the roof or through the side door and it all gets ruined, how much would it cost me? Have a really good look at that. Because while it's dry, you're not thinking about it, it'll suddenly become an emergency ambulance case and that will lose quite a lot of money for you. So just get your brain on with that one. I actually believe that we have got too much wheat to be absorbed into the available homes for it to go to in the short term. And I think if the north of England come in as promised, I think there's going to be a pressure developing in the UK specifically, which will push the price down. That's my view. And I have colleagues who disagree with me. And there's plenty of the trade who quite honestly, having sold futures at 260 and they're currently trading at 266, you know, there's egg on my face and I'm wrong. However... I do think every now and again, physical, logistical issues override uh, other market factors. So, yeah, we will see in a week's time or two weeks' time whether I'm talking out my backside. I've quite happily laid my position on the table. I think it's going to come down because of the physical volume of wheat in the UK to move, to trade, and the lack of places for it to go. Anyway, with that, I am delighted that I think in two weeks' time, if that, harvest will be done as far as we're concerned with our stores, which potentially means a day off in August. Anyway, I'll look forward to that and uh, have a great week's tidying up of your crops and a great week's trading. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. The Aylsham Show is back. Bank Holiday Monday, the 29th of August. The central theme of this year's show is highlighting Norfolk's importance as a primary food producer. Visitors will find something that caters to all tastes. Animal exhibitions and competitions, main ring displays, classic cars and agricultural vehicles, plus an extensive food and cookery zone, all in the beautiful surrounding of Blickling Park. The Aylsham Show, Bank Holiday Monday the 29th of August. We look forward to seeing you there. Right, in recent times I've been taken to hijacking people when they come in our office and this morning I've got a golden opportunity to talk to a local farmer who's finished harvest in July. So I've got with me today Jimmy Fowle from Itchingham. Good morning, Jimmy. Morning, Andrew. And uh, are you delighted that I've hijacked you? Well, I wasn't quite expecting that. I was coming <laughs> in to just see how things were going with other people. <laughs> what, with prices, I assume? That was the main thing. And then check whether your neighbours have finished yeah, to make well, sure. Well, no, I wasn't interested in that. If you went down the pub <laughs> and went, yeah, well, I... I've finished <laughs> and know who to speak to. <laughs> right, joking aside, parishes that you farm in, which where, where are you at? So we, the rest we, of the we, we rarely farm in the parishes of Itteringham, Blickling and Alton. So okay. we're along the Bure Valley. Okay, and would you describe that as incredibly heavy land? It's variable land. It's, it, it can run from light land down to very nice land along the river into Blickling. Yeah, and some of the light land is extremely light isn't it some of the light land is very extremely light especially at the top of itteringham so with that in mind if you've got 
you know, you've had a harvest where there's been very little rain. I think, from what I've seen of your samples, you did manage to get everything coming in without being too thin. You did get enough rain for grain fill, didn't you? We were very lucky. The inch of rain that we had when grain fill was happening just came at the right time, and fortunately we've achieved malting samples for everything, which is very pleasing considering, yeah, and the yields have been reasonable. Some years that doesn't happen because you, the light land bits just get too scorched off, don't they? The guy who drives your tractor reckons that as he drove in at work, there's a couple of days where the rain stopped just at the edge of your fields, he, he said. We were very unlucky. I think when North Walsham got the 20 mil, we did get about 8 or 10, and that saved the first time. And then we had that lovely weekend in May when we did get an inch in sort of two batches on the Friday and the Sunday, and that was just enough to see the winter barley through and the spring barley's fortunately on the good end of the farm, yeah. and the winter barley's obviously on the sandy end of the farm farm and that rain just made grain feel okay so you recommend going to church every sunday then <laughs> or some of you do anyhow <laughs> i mean for those who don't know there is a thing called rain envy when you have a dry year and so there's two things that farmers can enjoy if you like having a chat about if they're on the right side of it one of them is the yield you ultimately get you know i've done 11 and, and oh i've done 11 and the other one is pre-harvest oh i had 10 mil oh i didn't get any <laughs> it really counts on your farm doesn't it because of those like oh every drop of rain counts on our farm we've got one field called poverty so you don't need to say any more <laughs> well i'm sure every farmer thinks he's got some poverty sorry a little bad joke right so been a good harvest in terms of yield as well Are you happy it's been far more pleasing than i thought i would call it a good average harvest yeah, and the dynamic of, obviously, the stuff you put into central store and everything is all tucked away. You've got some on the farm that's still got to be delivered. I mean, it's all incredibly dry, isn't it? I mean, that's the rejoicing bit about this summer has been the fact that you've finished by now. Everything is very Oh, dry. everything was dry. We just moved from one to the other to the other. We mm. just finished the winter barley, went straight into the rape, got all that done before the actual heat wave day, and then we had a break, and then we just cleared the wheat up, and the wheat was incredibly dry, not probably quite fit, mm. and the bushel weight was up there at 76, 78 kilos, so it weighed amazingly, and it was all behind rape, and that was the yields were very, very good. And the spring barley has come off okay. The fortunate it was on good land, so that managed to get reasonable grain fill. Yeah, it's certainly a pleasure. We're recording this on a Saturday which is the 30th of July, so this won't be out for a couple of weeks, but the dynamic of the central store position is we've been able to just absorb the stuff very quickly. We are you know, getting well on towards being full with literally uh, still a day to go in July. The only stuff left to come is spring barley and wheat, and most farmers possibly will try and keep that if they can at bay if, if they don't have to use their storage i guess i don't know but yeah it's been easier without a doubt we should finish by the second week of august and we should perhaps heaven forbid have some time off in between now and the elsham show that's oh, been quite amazing really because the yardstick when i was in young farmers always to get finished the if you could get finished before Elsham Show dance night, it was amazing. Yeah, I can yeah. remember bringing a load into Andrews at 10 past seven and rushing home and getting tipped quickly here oh, and, combing your hair. and back in eight, <laughs> eight o'clock in the tent. But And then it got to lately where we've always been a fortnight before the bank holiday on the whole. But mm. I mean, this year, it, I can't remember what happened in 1976. I think that was a very early year, but the crops are different then. Not many people were growing. I think it was all dried up anyhow. I think that was very I early, remember 76 from a schoolboy's perspective because I was, I was 14 in 76 and I remember coming home from school and dad was finishing harvest and that was in school term time so it was like you know disappointed because I couldn't do the tractor jobs that you always look forward to doing maybe a bit of straw with the 
first bit of holiday, but it was over by the shouting, and it's it's legendary stuff. Now everyone's now had a similar experience, albeit a diddy bit later, I think, because it was June combining in 76. I think the most amazing thing this year is the fact that everything's been so dry, perhaps almost too dry, but, you know, the barley being 12, 8, 13.5%, that's actually speeded everything up here at Elsham as well, because they haven't had to use the dry a great deal, and the throughput this year here has been phenomenal. And there's other things. We, we haven't got to swap bins, and we've got a 2,000-ton bin. We call it a 2,000-ton bin. It actually takes, in a normal year, about 2,150, 2,100 tonnes in it. It's got 2,440 tonnes weighed into that bin. None of it's been dried. Average kilo weight, probably 79 to 80. And it's just flowed in like a liquid. It's just incredible. Our biggest threat at the moment or issue is getting it blowed, getting the temperatures down. They're down to about 20, but some of that stuff was cut you know, up into the, well into the 30s. So we're achieving that. The fans have been on continuously. We've probably taken even more moisture out because there's never been any humidity in the, in the fortnight that's been going in. Well, it's been good, really, because this year I think everyone is dreading with the high gas prices and oil prices how much it was going to cost. Yeah, yeah. And that's been a big relief to people because the charges did go up a bit, which we all expect. But actually having the wheat and the barley at their moisture has been has saved us quite a lot of money. And also it's actually been quite amazing. We probably never cut corn so dry and the long days how cheaply we've done harvest um, mm. i reckon diesel consumption we always measure our diesel every day mm. when if, when we fill it up we work out what we use from the previous day's acreage and i think diesel consumption because it just flows through the combine without any noises or mm-mm. yeah and it's probably down 20 percent. i think the diesel wow. That's great. Which We've is all good but when you're paying over a pound a litre. So that's saving you, you know, that's saving it. That's put the diesel back to sort of about 80 pence a litre in real terms. I mean, our fans are on continuously, so you could argue with higher electricity costs. We could try and put a number of the central stores who aren't really any longer cooperative, although they pretend to be, they're banging charges into people for blowing to get the temperature down. Well, if we dry the stuff, we have to get the temperature down anyway, so we, the blowers are on, so we're that, we believe that's in our costings. So as a business, we're not charging people for cooling stuff down. But some of the opposition is doing exactly that. They're charging a fiver as a little claim opportunity to say, oh, we've got to blow it. Well, you have to anyway. I think you must find it quite a relief, Andrew, this year, not to have to... I know earlier in the year you were worrying about the price of gas and everything else. That must be quite a relief to you and your members that you haven't really had to turn the gas tap on much at all. Well, we've, had some, we've had some dried and dressed stuff we have to do, and you have to go through a conditioning thing with that. So we have had the burners on to get it down to the contract spec that we've had. You know, and then we're going to be very interesting to see what charge actually comes through for that. But, I mean, we've had a quote for next year. We have a, a cut-off date in September for next next year's charges we aren't, aren't hit as hard for this year and it's horrendous it's absolutely horrendous how much we've just been quoted now we'll be looking to change or negotiate or something because that would be cost restrictive if it's true the first quote we've had terrifying so we're a little bit shocked by what came back on friday so we'll, we'll that will that one will be a developing story i think because it really is going to cost an arm and a leg to dry things we use a lot of electricity in the rest of our business and we were actually shocked the other day how much till we, we when we got our bill in obviously that's on a that's on a contract that's been renegotiated and mm. and there's a little bit of catching up to do and then we when we had the new price that was absolutely Fall off the chair, uh, we've got quite yeah. frightening how much it's going to cost and going through the winter obviously 
loves it. And with the hot summer, we've used a lot of fans. But So I'm sure you're quite pleased, Andrew, that you have saved... Yeah, no, absolutely. Listen, it's the biggest thing for me, probably, because the, what the costs are, are the costs. And in the end, the store, it isn't my store. It's, you know, this, this store is a cooperative. And turning I'm the person who delivers the news to the farmer. I'm the one who goes, I'm afraid there's a drying charge on that. And they associate the bad news with me they don't associate it with the chairman of the board of farmers like it's Andrew doing is <laughs> taking money from me and it's like no it isn't quite like that and I had a conversation this morning we, we got some rain coming on Sunday tomorrow and obviously the spring barley been down as low as 12% moisture stuff that's fit is it incredibly receptive to water that's the whole point of malting barley at 12% yes it is a little bit of a soaking if it's the temperatures up there and it gets a proper rain is that barley in the field going to go off now I don't know whether it is or whether it isn't well I think we did have a situation four or five years ago when the barley got really dry and then there was a situation where the barley sort of acted like blotting paper yeah. It took the moisture, and then it was early on. Then you get a microclimate, because once you actually get, if you get a heavy rain, you then start getting some dews at night. Yep. And then the warmth of early August, it hasn't chilled off. Once you get towards the third week of August, you can feel the well, chill on your shoulders at night. So you have this microclimate, and then I know one or two other merchants were then checking quite vigorously, well, we, they were cutting it, and also you could just see a little shoot on the end listen, coming out in three or four days. Well, that's the point. It's got down into the same condition as, as dried and dressed barley which is and it's highly uh, endoscopic it's, it's, it's highly ready for uh, absorbing that moisture and if it gets moisture in sufficient quantity over enough of a period then it that little contracted seed is going to be a little confused about what it should be doing next and probably it's going to pardon the pun shoot well, its bolt you, isn't it you can really say you're creating a, um, a malting floor in the field really well exactly and so we sent a text out yesterday saying look all of a sudden from nowhere a rain forecast has come up therefore if you are playing the game of which field should i cut which is largely people saying oh i went home and i thought i'll cut the wheat tomorrow would you mind cutting the barley please because i'd rather avoid the possibility of that going wrong now i know one or two people have done that and if they've got their barley in and it does happen like that then i think with the malting premium around i don't know 80 90 pounds a ton which is unheard of in normal years that's an enormous amount of money that we've saved them and i hope i'm completely wrong but i'm old enough to know that you're taking a risk if you don't cut it if you've got that choice so that's one of the things this weekend we'll find out on tuesday whether there's damage or not I think there is a lot of spring barley about in other parts of the country, and they they have had higher rainfall. I think in the East Norfolk here and North Norfolk, we were probably one of the low, lowest. I know South Norfolk had one or two good rains, and we didn't get them. So we are sort of a bit, you know, we are very vulnerable up here. Yeah, look, the north of the country at this moment, if they combine it, if it all comes in, and the rain keeps going through, so maybe it won't be quite as straightforward as they would hope. But without a doubt, the potential of the crop up north is enormous. That's the biggest threat to price you've got, is that the north of England and Scotland looks exceptional on spring barley. So we've been saying it for a month. And if you go across the North Sea to Denmark and that, you know, they also have the promise of an incredibly big, good quality malting barley crop. They've had some very good conditions. But I, th- I think your members are lucky here that if someone has got a slight, if they have got a slight borderline case with retention or otherwise if there's a screen, a slight screening issue, you have got plenty of facilities whereby you can basically dress it up and tidy it up and probably just uh, just move it across from the no side to the yes side, which well, is always appreciated. Well, the attempt is based upon motivation, isn't it? If you are there to try and say yes, if you possibly can, 
then there's a higher chance you're going to get accepted in the malting bin than if the line is drawn exceedingly tightly. And, you know, some years it's easier to get into a malting bay at some of the bigger companies than it is not to. But that quite often depends on price, I've found. But I can remember a few years ago when we had very, very high nitrogen, everything was over 2%. They did actually manage to malt most of the malt out of over 2% barley. Yeah, look, we've had, we've had the malting stuff with much lower retentions. Miss Beggars and last year was a real problem. There was a problem last year with the quality of the spring barley. It was borderline germination in places. Some of that late stuff, it was a problem. But there was a shortage. Canada was short. Europe was short. The whole price went through the roof. So they, there had to be a level of tolerance that you no, don't normally get. And going into this season, there's no stock. We've got to replenish stocks this year, so prices aren't going to collapse. They will come under a bit of pressure, perhaps, with a bit of northern and, and, and Danish stuff. And if the Canadian crop comes in good, but it isn't, you know, the podcast that comes out on this Monday coming is with Adrian Deiter, who's a molster. So, you know, you'll, we'll be having this conversation after you've heard that one on the podcast. And basically, it's not going to be cured this year, but they're hoping very much that stocks will be replenished and it will come back down to a more normal premium. Yeah, but the malting premiums have needed to go up because in recent years the malting premiums have been dwindling. And years ago, and wheat has sort of become higher than malting barley, which yeah, is less uh, less risk with wheat. But if if you're getting to a place where wheat is making more money regardless, then it's then you won't have malting barley grown. That is a healthy thing for price, absolutely. Many years, feed barley was always running a little bit behind wheat, and then your malting premium would be over the top of it. So it was always that was always well ahead of wheat. But in recent years, wheat has, his last three or four years, wheat has basically got ahead of you know, the Marisotta premium, which is sort of unheard of. And so that has needed to come back, which hopefully we're getting the premiums this year to bring it back to align it. Because well, Marisotta, people... Marisotta's got a choice, isn't it? It's a bit like sugar beet. Sugar beet miraculously had a price increase, then another price increase, and then another price increase, and we'll pay you early for some all of a sudden they can afford to pay more money for people to grow sugar now it's a good thing strategically for the uk that we have sugar produced because go back to the war we hadn't got that organized if we were strategically we were just learning how to grow sugar beet then because we'd very just prior to the war we've got people to come over and teach us how to do it the dutchman and, and such like but strategically if we you know, we go in this world of fresh conflict, if you like. Relying on imports of cane sugar would be a particularly bad thing to do, wouldn't it? So we do need sugar beet. It's just that the actual crop was not going to be grown because they were paying one penny's worth of profit for every farmer basis their work, and they knew what they had to pay just to keep you interested. I mean, the sugar beet has now got back to a price where it should have been this last few years, but it's taken a long while to get there. The NFU worked hard, but I think British Sugar have suddenly realised that if they carried on how they were, they were going to lose all their lifting people and they'd lost their hauliers. And they've, all already, the, they've already messed the hauliers all up. All the infrastructure like, would have yeah. gone out the business, and then to actually get farmers who are never going to invest back in equipment anymore, and if you've then lost your few hauliers and lifting people who are left in the area no one's going to put the investment in and and i don't think that they would probably been able to manage the whole system themselves well, yeah, because who, farmers who, would have dipped out of sugar beet as who, opposed to who killed the haulage they killed the haulage by saying we'll do it ourselves and they cut everybody to the treads on the prices so farmers sold their lorries and didn't go back to having them because they're quite an expensive luxury and all of a sudden the realization that now haulage rates are through the roof and you can't get enough lorries makes sugar you know sugar beet's a big bulk commodity that basically 
you're having, that cost of haulage is enormous and they weren't paying enough for it. So they were largely to blame for the demise of their own infrastructure. Now, hopefully they've learned that lesson. I mean, it's, it's up to them, isn't it? But in the meantime, there's other things that have occurred in the world that have made the price of commodities and the price of land, the price of food, to suddenly be a much more interesting and dynamic decision and to decide to not have the, I mean, the break of sugar beet is superb, and it's brilliant for spring barley introduction in Norfolk. Sugar I get beet are one of the, one of our best break crops. Yeah, for but, our area. But some years does immense damage to the following crop. Doesn't come out the ground well enough. You're lugging stuff around in cold, wet, miserable conditions in November, December. Whereas if you adopted the old, you know, let's grow all seed rate and take October, November, December, January, February off and do, you know, skiing or something. I mean, sugar beet has benefited in recent years. I think if we we hadn't had the trouble with flea beetle in rape, I Mm. think that probably with the prices being down at 21, 23 pounds a tonne, I think the sugar beet crop would would have went into into demise Mm. a a lot, lot quicker in the past three or four years. Mm. But people have been hanging a bit in there because taking away a neonox made people, I think everyone would have piled into rape a lot more. But obviously the the neonox ban just helped the sugar beet because at least you could spray the sugar beet even though we had neonoc ban yeah. on that we were able to spray them with a couple of selected aphicides so yeah, ne- basically neonic- they've been sa- British sugar been saved once or twice by other events going on neonicotides yeah no, absolutely uh, and in the end it is a cornerstone of Norfolk agriculture and I'm you know it is vital I hope it continues you know all of these farms up for sale at the moment a number of people looking at the one close to you have arrived by helicopter haven't they now that doesn't bode well for cereal production particularly does it we might get a nice pop star in there who decides to rewind well, um, agriculture seems to the land ownership is now starting to be seems to be from outside investment and from people who've made money elsewhere and you know you country boys have ruined the planet if you listen to the you know the our vegan and our you know organic and our i live in chelsea type people who've got avocados and couscous to eat you know we are to blame for everything out here and therefore they'll come and show us like normal essex people how everything is done i think it's come to how vulnerable we are since we've had the ukraine war how vulnerable we are to food shortages and and many other shortages We've obviously got to change our systems of farming and, and we've got to be moving towards a rege- some take on the regenerative principles. But we've also it's got the, to also, but we can't we've also got to look and think, well, we've got to produce food effectively, efficiently, safely and to good environmental standards. Totally. But we're car crashing into it. People are making decisions on the basis of emotion, not logic assessment of actual carbon and all of the things you know planting a tree is not the solution you could plant other commodities that is a greater carbon sink than a tree but everyone thinks you know british airways we've planted 600 trees but you know what that's one person taking 10 flights in a year's worth of carbon for the next 60 years it's, that isn't the answer it's so it's so tokenistic this it's much much more complex and it is more about the balance of your farming sure Farming from a can with chemicals and just spraying everything is abhorrently wrong. The insect life cycle is much, much more important than we realise. Root infrastructure is really important. But if you go direct drilling your winter barley following wheat, you'll end up with a bin full of wheat admixture winter barley. We've got a bin here of craft winter malting barley with an admixture of between 2 and 6%. Currently it's feed barley. 
But I think a lot of it goes back and people start to realise that probably in later years the mixed farms have disappeared, but where people have still got mixed farms, where there's a degree of livestock on, they're actually putting them up back into the land. Some of them are growing cover crops to feed their animals, and that old system actually, is still, is still has come to highlight its, its valuable. And there's one or two big estates up here approved where they've used that. You know, the soil health is increasing, and some of us have moved away, some of us haven't. But where they've moved away, this is where the problems, and also that you can see that the water laying on the land where they've had continuous wheat and perhaps rape yeah. and too heavy a machinery whereas if they put roots and different things in the soil structure would be improved along with break crops totally well which is incredibly ironic isn't it that the mixed farm which was not as profitable in the short run in the long run is proving to be the correct way to farm to have a healthy piece of land into the next millennia you know it's you need animals so getting rid of all animals because we're going to eat plants all the time actually isn't going to help you need poo on the land you need to get the worms and the flies and all that stuff going there is a balance to it that these puritanical single subject arguments that are coming out you know I, I went to a wedding the other day and there was a young girl there who i got into a conversation with about you know she, she found out i was a grain trader somehow and, I, and she said oh do you, do you feed that stuff to animals and i said no, it's malting barley. That that will go into malt whiskey because it's as good a barley as you'll ever see. Oh, she said. Oh, right. Well, do you feed some trout? I said, Yeah. I, and I knew where she was going. She was a city girl, you know. So she went. It, I said, Yeah. I, I tend to think that it's much nicer that we don't let the animals starve. Don't you? She goes, oh, it's really cruel. I said, what, letting them starve? And she went, no, no, no. I said, well, if you kill all the animals and your theory's wrong, it's a bit of a worry, isn't it? What about if you're wrong? If you let them live, they'll die of arthritis or some sort of hideous disease, won't they? They'll Eventually, you'll have to cull them anyway. So it isn't, you're just putting off the fateful day. So it, it, there's a counter-argument to your kindness that you're going to put these poor old animals through. We then got on to organic farming, and I said, there's a really interesting uh, study being done in uh, in Sri Lanka. Have you have you seen it? No, she said. I said, well, yeah. You know, they, the government banned pesticides, fungicides, uh, artificial fertilizer, and wouldn't allow any of that, and decided to go organic across the whole thing. She said, yes. And I said, and they're, and they're starving now. They they've run out of money and they've run out of food. You know, and uh, to which she said, oh, I said, look it up. Go and look. Go and see see the tactic of a government deciding to go down that route in a hurry, and they have now run out of food. You get these arguments from people who are, as I say, puritanical about it, without any genuine consideration. What if their theory is wrong? What would we do if we just dropped all animals off the face of the earth? Organic farming has definitely got its place for some people, and there's people who enjoy organic food and want organic food and they can afford to buy it but a lot of people can't afford to pay the prices for organic food they need food which is produced safely and also environmentally friendly and I think the the idea of the regenerative system and the values we are learning from that can be put into practice with with perhaps people who've been too much intensive and if they if we marry all these things together I'm, I'm sure that we can come up with a new style system and we're going to progress into that with the grants and the incentives coming through from the government since we've been out of the EU I think out of that will come a lot of good and we'll progress into this new system but everything takes time Timmy, you sound like a marriage counsellor. You're really optimistic. You're right. And, and when you mention grants, yeah, DEFRA is not giving us anywhere near enough clarity at the moment about what, what people can actually get. It's so late in the day. I don't think they know, if they were honest, what they actually want from you because it's not clear, is it? And, and the food supply side has blindsided them. It's suddenly come up and gone, 
ooh, actually, the world's short of food. How much food have we got? Oh, blimey. The latest war has highlighted, I think, to mm. the whole world how vulnerable we are when Ukraine's produced so much, uh, such a huge percentage of the wheat for the world. The surplus, and you suddenly yeah. realise it's not there. It's like having your own cupboard full of food and you've always had a 20% reserve there mm. and suddenly your reserve food has gone, which is the Ukraine, and you've got to find it all elsewhere. And That's a good analogy. And then the yeah. prices start to go up and people realise that not only is the food vulnerable, but suddenly once food is vulnerable, prices rise along with it. Yeah, no, it's, and your it's, weekly housekeeping bills have gone up along with everything else. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, producing it next year, the price is high, and everyone's saying, "Oh, you know, that's that's not too bad." Is is it a profit at two hundred and forty pounds a ton next year? Should be, but what is your oil going to cost you? How much are those chemicals going to cost? All right, your fertilizer you might have had bought, but the uncertainty is definitely still there. We don't know what comes next, do we? It could be worse. We are at the point at this time where we're all taking delivery of fertiliser at, um, mm. at hugely inflated prices over what we paid last year. Mm. And I know the grain markets have risen, but there is this risk that we're, we're going to next year with the risk that we could be growing crop all high inputs using with yeah. our fuel and fertilisers and sprays. And then if prices drop back, we could end up with a, not a happy situation. Yeah, and the uncertainty is... It could be everyone who sold forward this current year is wrong. Even if they sold at 200, which was the dream price, it's 40, 50 quid wrong. So people are reluctant to sell forward whilst they have the threat of it going down and they've committed to much higher prices. It is an incredibly perilous decision-making process. To do nothing is as much a decision as to do something, isn't it? We haven't been in this situation for many, many years. With mm. price, and there's so much volatility at the moment. You know, While we're in the EC, prices used to creep up from probably £100 a tonne to £120 a tonne in July. Yeah. And you could more or less sort of put, you could do a graph every year and you could pencil in when you want to sell some wheat or cereals and you knew roughly what you're going to pick up at a yeah. certain time of the year. And whereas now you can, the volatility can go up £20 in a day or come down £50 in a week or up. So that can suddenly add the change in output could be four to £500 a hectare in a week. Yep. And, and from a grain trading perspective, you do a deal with someone and, and miss the, the hedging aspect of it, and you could be 20 quid wrong in a minute. One of my old colleagues, uh, Jonathan Cowens, would describe that as challenging and interesting, which doesn't really say that actually it's, it's considerably, it's a miserable experience sometimes and euphoric others. It's just it's up and down. So uh, you have to try and keep a balanced mood through all of it, don't you? Well, that's all we can do. Right, Jimmy, I apologise for getting in, but I think it was important for people on the podcast to kind of hear the dynamics of someone who's finished Harvest in July, who's happy with the quality of his product and, you know, happy with the prices that were being traded at the moment. And, you know, you've still got some stuff to trade. You know, farmers get a lot of grief about lack of optimism and and being a bit grumpy. So I think you've you've dispelled that rumour rather well, don't you? Well, I think after drilling our beat in April and hardly having much rain since, I think I was pleasantly surprised at the quality of the of the winter barley. The yields haven't been as perhaps as good as some years, but as I say, it's been a good average. But at least it's we've got there. We've done it very efficiently, very quickly. We haven't wasted any time with labour standing around waiting for wet days. And here we are at the end of July, finished harvest. We've got time to get a shave in and a haircut for the Alshon <laughs> Show and buy a new suit, Jimmy. Maybe. <laughs> anyway, Jimmy, thank you very much for coming on the podcast and yeah nice to meet you this morning andrew thanks for listening make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released and follow us on twitter we are at dewing grain 
Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.